Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up later in today's Clark Rage, I have a special warning for you about allowing any company to draft your checking account. And yet later, there is a market share fight going on in the supermarket aisle that is a battle royale, and you are the winner. I want to tell you what changes are taking place that are going to save you money. Speaking of saving money... We have with us Sally, who is our newsletter editor extraordinaire for our newsletter products we have at Clark.com, ClarkDeals.com. And Sally, you are on the hot seat today. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Clark. Love the hot seat. So there's a new study out that says that millennials, half of them, are spending more on eating out than saving for retirement. It also finds that nearly 40% of millennials are not saving a single penny. And the money people are spending on things as millennials is, well, it's pretty interesting where the money's going. And a lot of it is going to things that are nice to do, but not have to do's. So I have heard through the grapevine, that you eat out every meal of your life. Is this a true statement? Well, it is fairly accurate. My husband and I love to go out to eat. Um, It's something we really enjoy doing. It's um, a way for us to get out of the house and enjoy um, lovely food from people who enjoy cooking food, which is not us. Um, and so it is a uh, part of our budget and part of how we love to spend our money. So the average millennial is spending $163 a month eating out. I'd imagine if you and your husband are eating out 80 meals a month that you're spending a fair amount more than 163. Uh, we do spend, um, a lot of our extra money that we have left over on eating out um, because it's something we enjoy and it saves me time from planning meals or going to the grocery store. Um, And quite frankly, I'm just not a good cook, so it's not very fun. Well, I want to ask you something that might not be pleasant for me to bring up to discuss with you. So, You said part of your budget and your extra money, so I'm really coming on to you pretty hard with the whole guilt trip thing here. So what are the two of you doing to save for retirement? Both of our employers offer a match, so we are both doing a full uh, contribution to our retirement funds through our employer, and then we're also working on setting aside a significant amount of money to put in our regular savings account so we can have a really strong base for emergency savings. That's something we've really been focusing on this year. Um, We could certainly do more, but eating out is just so fun. So wait, wait, wait. So I'm picking on you unfairly and unnecessarily because you have chosen within your budget as a lifestyle choice 
to eat out pretty much all your meals, but you're still saving 15% of your pay in a 401k? That's correct. And your husband is too? Yes. And you each have a match? Yes. Wow, what kind of match do each of you have? Um, I have a great match at 6%, and he, I believe, also has a 6% match. So you're saving, effectively, each of you more than 20% of your pay. Yes, and we're hoping this year to, my husband is a teacher, so he has a 403B plan, so we're hoping to get him a Roth 401k this year so he can save even more in a better plan for him. So you know that I never went to law school, right? Right. And one proof of that is no lawyer ever asks a question that he or she doesn't already know the answer to. So I had jumped to a conclusion when I heard that you ate out all your meals, and we've been talking about this, that you were one of these 40% that wasn't saving any money at all, and you're saving like a maniac. I think what's important with studies like these is now it's given me um, a reality check and that I need to look at exactly how much we're spending, but we are also saving for retirement, so we're not the full statistic of millennials, which... No, no, you're doing, I mean, if you're saving 15% plus getting a 6% employer match, by the way, for me, you get 7%, not 6 Oh. So you're saving 22%. <laughs> Your husband's saving 21%. But anyway, it is, it's great. And uh, I apologize for thinking that you were one of the stats and keep doing exactly what you're doing. Thanks, Clark. But I want you to think about it, now that Sally has made me look like a jerk, I want you to think about the, the reality. Are you budgeting, if you will use that term like Sally did, are you budgeting for retirement? Are you putting money aside to build your future, or are you just living in the present? I mean, the list of things in this survey of what people are spending money on not saving for retirement was quite interesting. And... Uh, a lot of the things that people are spending money on that just kind of fritters away each week are things that if somebody was asked, well, would it be better to spend money on this or put it towards retirement? In isolation, people would automatically say for retirement. But in what people are actually doing, they're spending the money on various things that are not going to matter to them after they've that day has passed, but retirement eventually comes. Daniel's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Daniel. Good afternoon, Clark. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Great, thank you. So you got something going on with your 401k you wanted to run by me. Yeah, so um, my my employer um, currently has a company that I really like for our 401k, and they, out of the blue, at least to me, they sent notification that they're changing to a new company that I'd never heard of before. And uh, I, I've got the option to just not do nothing and let them roll everything over, or I can keep my current investments where they are by opening an individual one and transferring, or and then just do the new stuff at the new place. Um, I wanted to get your take on it. Well, the company that they're moving you to has um, uh, not the greatest satisfaction from people, and they've been sued a number of times according to trade journals for having massive fees in 401k plans 
I'm curious. Kind of the impression I had. I'm curious with your employer moving from a low cost provider to an ultra high cost provider. Are you at a very small employer? No, uh, we we have it's a, a big corporation with a lot of individual companies. Uh, I don't know, several thousand employees. So somebody somebody may have made a mistake. Let's leave it at that, because yeah. it makes no sense. <clears throat> Many times, smaller businesses won't know where to turn, won't know exactly what to do, and it's harder for a small business to find a low-cost plan anyway. And so the small businesses face a a Herculean task, but a big company, it's very easy to provide employees with a low-cost plan, and this is a very odd, curious switch. What I would recommend to you in this case is for you to reduce your contribution to the employer 401k to the point that you pull the full employer match if they're going to have one do they yeah yeah i'm currently doing that plus a little more so i would not do plus a little more anymore okay do only up to the match and then i would set up your own ira roth ira with one of the low-cost companies like who i see used to handle your 401k plan yeah i'm hoping to max out a roth and then maybe a little bit so any extra that would be too much for a roth just put it in the other one even if it's more than the match or do something else boy that's tough because you know if you're going to a a high cost provider it it becomes somewhat troublesome to put money in the 401k plan beyond what you need to to grab the full employer match so uh, look through the the uh, plan documents for the new plan they now have to disclose to you what the fees are and if there are any ultra low cost choices like any index funds that have really a low low fee which would be something uh, an index fund should be below 0.25 of one percent Okay. The ones you probably had with a large employer have been less than one-tenth of one percent. But at least if you can get them below 0.25, then any extra money put in an ultra-low-cost index fund. Now, they sent in the plan document, or the changeover documents that they sent, they have a list of six or seven funds that are available at both the old and the new, and most of them have the name of the old provider on them. Um, and supposedly they have a lower expense ratio with the new provider. Okay, so but the deal with this company is what they charge in overall administrative fees. Okay. That's the problem is it's not the fund fees. It's what they're being sued about is that they're charging massive administrative costs. Okay. If you just, yeah, did, if you just Google them and put some unfriendly word by it, just put the company name and say uh, scam or ripoff or whatever, or even just put their name, you'll see endless things that people have, have said in great anger about them as a 401k administrator. Okay. It takes a lot for people to really get fired up about who administers their <laughs> 401k, and if people have taken the time to write all these things and file all these complaints and for there to be the lawsuits, I can tell you they're a trouble. Okay. So I should contact my current provider and have them step me through how to change that over to an individual account? 
No, the money you already have, you have to leave with the employer 401k usually. If they offer you an option to rotate it out, what you've already contributed, you want to and do an IRA with the low-cost provider. Okay. And then set up your own separate Roth IRA for the money you're going to contribute current year and future years. Okay. And what a curious thing. I don't remember hearing a situation with a large employer going to an ultra-high-cost provider. The only time I ever really see that is when a company feels intimidated or forced to move their 401k to the brokerage arm of a big bank they're using for uh, a loan or a loan syndication, and they stick it to their own employees by going to a crummy 401k with a bank uh, in return for trying to make the bank happy so the bank will do the lending that the business wants. The employees, though, should always come first. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment, and this is a special warning for you about how to handle your wallet and how to handle the bills that you owe. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. I want to warn you about a problem that just came up. Is that yesterday or day before yesterday? Gentleman stopped me who was very animated and very angry about a health club that he was a member of, that he ended his membership, but they were still drafting his checking account. And this is a problem that happens again and again when you allow an auto debit for a car loan for any kind of product or service when you give permission for any place to go into your checking account and take whatever they want through ACH, Automated Clearinghouse, you need to know that your rights under the law are pathetic. That when a business or any organization takes money that way, It is a real chore, a real hard thing, and many times you will never be able to get your money back. So if you want the convenience of making sure that bills get paid on time, set up where you're in charge, where you set up to automatically pay each month on a credit card, because you have a whole bunch of rights if a business does a charge against a credit card that they shouldn't have done. Or you use your own bill pay through your credit union or bank where you're controlling the payments that go. You set it up automatically, but you're the boss. When you quit some service or whatever, or you've made the last payment on a loan or something like that, you go into your bill pay and you discontinue paying. The problem with the drafting with the ACH because you have virtually no rights, is that if money is taken either by mistake or on purpose, it is extremely difficult to get that money ever refunded and returned to you, and nobody is looking out for you. So use the the ability you have to protect yourself by you 
always being in charge of the payments you make and how they're made. Because otherwise, you'll be calling me and saying, what do I do? Hey, Joel, I think we have time to sneak in and ask Clark here. Yeah, Clark, we do. Gil wrote in and said, I'm shopping for a new home security system right now. I pay $48 a month. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. So he says, which company do you recommend that will do the installation of a new system and offer a better price for monitoring? Well, you may or may not need a new system. You may only need a new monitoring company. If you own the equipment in your home, there are many companies that will monitor an alarm for between $10 and $20 a month. They just take it over. But today, if that's not going to work for you, there are a zillion companies that will monitor for you and provide equipment as well that you self-install at very, very low cost. I've got a list of many of those choices at Clark.com. Your wallet is so smiling on you when you go to buy groceries. It's fantastic. I'm glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make, and you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. The supermarket business is going through the greatest turmoil it's faced in the hundred years that supermarkets have been part of people's lives. And the industry is being disrupted by what might be considered to be outside players. And uh, and when you listen to CEOs of supermarkets talk to Wall Street analysts or read what they have to say, it's the dull kind of stuff I do, one thing comes up again and again is that they're not competing against each other anymore. They're competing against the disruptors. And there are three major disruptors now in the supermarket business and they're Costco Wholesale, Sam's Club and Aldi but none of them is growing as fast as Aldi. Aldi is opening hundreds and hundreds of new stores in the United States. They're planning to open uh, more than a hundred every year through 2022. They have 2,500 locations in the country But more important, they're spending $5 billion to make their stores, their legacy stores, not look so depressing. I mean, Aldi, let's face it, if you've ever been in an Aldi, they're not exactly a store that's going to put a smile on your face. They're very, very basic, almost like miniaturized warehouses. But the new Aldi look looks like something very upscale, think kind of like Whole Foods or Sprouts. And speaking of that, the organic sellers, your supermarkets that specialize in organic, like Whole Foods or anybody like that, is facing a direct, significant, serious threat from Aldi, which is changing their product mix and going very heavily into organics. They're increasing the number of those by a big amount, and they're going heavily into fresh food. Now, the reason that's significant to you is Aldi structurally is run so simply that their prices are typically 40% cheaper than you're going to find at a traditional supermarket. And then you start lining up their organics versus what organics cost at Whole Foods, 
And even if you look at the 365's uh, Whole Foods private label going against private label Aldi, it's not even a contest. It's like a TKO without any of the boxers getting in the ring. So what's going on with the huge amount of organics being sold at Costco, if that's what you're into, to a lesser extent Sam's Club, and very heavily at Aldi, this is so to your benefit if you like buying organics. If you just like regular groceries, it was already to your benefit. And the proof is in the pudding because the market share of supermarkets is steadily going down. Aldi's up to $15 billion in sales, according to the industry sources, 15% increase in just a year, and they're outgrowing everybody in the market. So if you're someone who has not looked at the alternatives when you're looking to shop, there's so many choices now, and even the nation's two largest supermarket chains Walmart and Kroger, Kroger uses many different names around the country, they are both losing market share right now to the to warehouse clubs and to Aldi, so the opportunity for you to save is great. And if you live in Virginia or the Carolinas, Lidl, L-I-D-L, Lidl has set off the greatest price war on groceries probably ever seen in the United States because all the national supermarket operators may look at Aldi as a pest. They are terrified of their German rival Lidl, which has come in with a big presence in those three states, but stretches from New Jersey to Georgia right now and plans ultimately to roll out across the country. If you notice heavier promotions and heavier discounting in groceries, know that it's likely because of the fear the traditional players have of the new choices to save you money. Jill joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jill. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great, thank you. Jill, uh, tell me about your daughter. Well, I think we have similar um, daughters in the sense that they're both going off to college this year. And they both have peanut allergies. Um, My daughter has a life-threatening peanut allergy, and we started the process about 18 months ago in trying to find the best college and the best fit for her. And um, I thought I was doing the right things by going through the right channels at the university that she picked. And come to find out, we're, you know, 10 days from move-in date, and they're being inflexible in regards to the dining plan as kind of how I would see it. Um, we thought she would be able to to go to the dining hall, but when she got there for orientation, it was obvious that there was a lot of um, opportunity for cross-contamination. And so in the couple of days she was there for orientation, she kind of grabbed a banana and one other thing from there and thought, I need to do something else. So I've asked to be exempt from that dining plan, and they're saying no She's not allowed to be exempt if okay. she's in. We got to talk here because we got a similar thing going on with my daughter and that uh, for her housing assignment, yep. she had requested that that she be with uh, roommates that had food allergies as well or roommates yep. that would agree to have no peanut products 
in the dorm room because, you know, those dorm rooms, you're on top yep. of each other. And she got lost in the shuffle. And she's with two roommates, both of whom she's communicated with on social media, both of whom uh, nut products are a very important part of their diets. And right. so now, and and we've got her advocating for herself. She's been working with the school to try to get a different housing assignment. And we're in countdown to going as well and have a similar issue. So uh, on the food side, what I would do is get outside the bureaucracy of the school and send a letter to the chairman of the board of trustees. Okay. And it's an obvious thing that no school in what goes back, it's Latin or Greek, and loco parentis, you know, no school is, uh, is ever supposed to put a student in life and death danger. And it's an old legal concept. And the school, by being careless, is doing exactly that with your daughter. And it is a, it is a proper thing that if they can't provide a safe environment for her, and people aren't aware, your daughter and mine can die almost immediately from being exposed to cross-contaminated nut or peanut products. And it's one of those things people roll their eyes. Would they get a rash or something? They don't get it. There's anaphylactic shock and, and uh, instant death. And so it's possible that the administrators at the school don't get the, the life and death aspect of it either. So I had never heard of the allergy till our child almost died one day from it. And I get how dangerous it is. So I would, if you're going to advocate for her or she should be advocating for herself as well, I would find out who the chairman of the board is, and that's who I would immediately contact. Okay. Stay, um, get outside, get outside the, the bureaucrats. What's yep. that? Because I've been working with, like, the directors of dining, and, and they're simply saying, well, it's really up to the director of housing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, again bureaucratic mumbo-jumbo. And they don't yep. care if your kid doesn't live. They don't care about that. You're the one who has to care. Your daughter has to care about herself. And that's why you go outside the bureaucracy and you make it known. I, I don't see anything wrong with calling the president of the university. Okay. Were there any other advice that you have as your daughter goes off? Well, I mean, if, if you your daughter done... your daughter's 18 or 19 and has lived with us how long? About 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> So just like, yep. you know, my daughter was uh, almost died at two. So we've yep. been fully aware of it. Her yep. allergy has not lessened. You know, we do the tests over time. It hadn't lessened. And so I, I feel like at their age, they're good at protecting themselves. Okay. And they're, they're not going to, you know, at, at late teen, they know the drill and they know the risk. Yeah. And making sure she's always got two EpiPens that are in date yep. is important, but you don't want to have to use those. You want to use your good judgment to avoid any situation where you might die. My daughter can't even go to a baseball game. Nope, nor can ours. Yeah. So nope. there is no baseball in our <laughs> our household. Right. Um, but time's and important it, and it is here as soon as she's because going. Because people don't understand. And, and how could they? I mean, why would right. anybody understand? 
Because if they haven't experienced it firsthand, there's no way. So it's not like we should be mad at other people for not caring. They don't know how important it is. That's why we've got to let them know. Right. Hey, let let me know. Follow up with me. Let me know how it plays out when you start reaching outside the normal channels. Okay. I will do that. All right. Best of luck. Thank you, Clark. And wow, what a strange thing that it's exactly something that we're going through parallel playing here, but it's not funny playing at all. George is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, George. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, George. I I want to thank you for the show. Um, It's been very pleasure listening to you. With you, I'm able to understand better uh, some personal finance and and being able to uh, know that having credit is very important. So I want to thank you for that. Certainly. Okay. Uh, my question, uh, Clark, is um, I have a pretty large bill f- of student loan currently, and paying this monthly is uh, the bill is pretty stiff, and I've been on and off uh, deferment. Um, but uh, I lost my job. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Few, thank you. I, I lost my job a few months ago, and. Uh, I was wondering, is it wise to take, because I have a pretty good amount of money in my 401k that I'm getting ready to roll over into a Fidelity IRA, and I'm, I was thinking, is it wise to take that money and pay off a student loan? Wow. Uh, gosh, that's a tough one. Because if you take the money out of the 401k, instead of putting it in the IRA you were going to do, you suffer tax on it, and a 10% federal penalty. So the tax consequences are severe. Usually the tax and penalties will add up to around 46% of the amount of money. No, no, that wouldn't be true anymore. It's 44% of the amount of money. So that means for every dollar you would take out of the 401k, you no longer have it for retirement, and that dollar becomes reduced to 56 cents going wow. towards the student loans. So it is a, it's a very harsh way to get rid of the student loan debt. Okay. Now let's see if there's any reason that would make sense. What interest rate do your student loans carry? 4.125. No. Then it would not make sense and they're at 4.125 fix their federal student loans. Correct. Yeah. So the feds will work with you when you do have a period of unemployment or lower income. You can go into the income-based various income-based repayment offers, and that would be a better idea than liquidating that 401k to get rid of a federal student loan where you have so many borrower rights and a fixed rate that's so favorable. Have you been able to find another job yet, George? I'm still looking. I'm oh. still looking, and it's, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, let me encourage you that the job market is very strong right now. There are a lot of openings, and just stick to it, stay out there, and let's hope you find another great opportunity. Thank you. I Thank wish you, you the best. Amir joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Amir. How are you? How are you doing? Great, thank you. Amir, you want to talk about something no one's asked me about in at least a year, 
and it involves solar panels. Yes, that's right. What are you curious about? Uh, so I was uh, I was wondering if I can get your opinion on Tesla solar panel lease, and uh, does it worth it for the long term contracts? Well, I don't like any of the solar leases because you're creating a obligation that if you ever plan to sell your home, often it can mess up the sale of your home because you have that existing lease at your home. I like for, for you, if you're going to get solar, to buy the stuff. But the, the thing no one's asked me about in a year, because I do get calls about solar panels, is the Tesla solar, where it's just the coolest looking thing ever, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's right. And so if you're not aware of, of what Amir and I are talking about, Tesla has these roof shingles that look pretty much like any other roof on a house, but they are actually solar panels. And so it's incorporated in the design of the house, and it just looks like any other roof in the neighborhood, except it's killing off your energy bill for your home. Let me tell you what the problem's been so far, Amir, is that the cost of the Tesla solar panels, anything I've read at all, that it's far more expensive to put solar on your house with Tesla shingles than it is with traditional solar panels. So it's got to be something you want to do because of the aesthetics of having the shingles instead of having the traditional panels. Have you gotten quotes from people on traditional solar panels for your home? Oh uh, yeah, usually it goes from uh, twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. Okay, and then you got the thirty percent federal tax credit. You know, until right. t- until Tesla gets the economics right, if you do want to do solar, I think it's better to do traditional, and let the early adopters who want to do it just because it's cool put on the sell the Tesla solar tiles on their roofs. And then the rest of us will get it when it's affordable. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com newsletters.